1: Everybody, I'm Chad Bokelman.
2: I'm Mark Marble.
1: And this is the Lantern Cast.
2: Episode 302.
1: That's right. It's going to be our uh, 2017 Wizard World Austin Comic-Con breakdown, uh, essentially. Um, yeah, I try to do this once a year. Try to. Uh, I mean, it's kind of been rough going the past couple of years. It's not uh, something I've done quite as often as I usually do, but... I did it for Alamo City in 2015, and I did it again this year for uh, uh, Wizard World. I just want to go to a con once a year, get some interviews, and bring him back for the show. Um, this year, they didn't really have anybody like super Green Lantern related. Um, uh, both people I talked to, though, did work on Green Lantern. Uh, so that's, that's something uh, special. But you know what? Quite honestly, I did this less for the Green Lantern stuff and more just because these were people I wanted to talk to to begin with. So, um, we, what's we, it, what's we, it? we know
2: why you did it, Chad. It's it, it Venom, knock.
1: <laughs> That's right. <the> venom. <laughs> that is right. Uh, well, he said it. Uh, so uh, in this episode, we'll be interviewing two people. I'll be interviewing uh, Sam De La Rosa, who is a uh, – both of these individuals, of course, are inkers. Uh, Sam De La Rosa was an inker primarily on, like, Venom Lethal Protector. Uh, He was also an inker on uh, several issues of The Fury of Firestorm. Um, And he did actually ink one issue of Green Lantern from, like, uh, I think it was like 160, something like that. Um, We didn't talk significantly about that. It was only one issue. Um, He also has been working in the comic industry for quite a while. And then I also interviewed Jonathan Glapion. And Jonathan Glapion, some of you might know a little bit better, because he has been, the same way that Tom Wynn was inking pretty heavily uh, most of the, the, the projects um, that, uh, oh God, why, why am I blanking on the name? Uh, was it uh, uh, Green Lantern, uh, Doug Monkey? This, the same way that uh, Tom Wynn was uh, inking a lot of Doug Monkey's work and is a lot of, is often like following him and you know inking his work. Uh, Jonathan Glapion is doing the same with Greg Capullo. And right now, Greg Capullo is working on a title called DC Metals. So Glapion did that. And uh, Glapion actually worked on Green Lantern for a while himself too. A brief stint. He did the inks on the Blackest Night Wonder Woman. Miniseries, and he did the inks on Agent Orange with Philip Tan, the artist. The good Tan. So we, that's right. <laughs> so we talk a bit about that. But, uh, you know, Mark listened to both of these, and, you know, it, we do talk a bit about Green Lantern in each of them, but it's not its not really a part of it. Uh, I, I was talking with Glapion because of a few different things, one of which is I'm a big fan of the Haunt series that Image put out. Um and uh Sam De La Rosa I talked to because I'm a big fan of Venom so I talked to both of them and you know that's probably sufficient lead in don't you think? <laughs> We can talk yeah, about the con and, and everything th- else afterwards.
2: Th- th- I think that's I think that's a good enough lead in, and, and at least and at least Chad didn't begin the episode by saying at least both of these individuals have heard of Green Lantern. <laughs> 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 when we get down to that point, then maybe we have to be a little more careful with our interviews. <laughs> <But> luckily,
1: <laughs> we need to get right. that far, and Chad done go- Chad's done good as usual. <laughs> uh, that's right. All right, guys. So uh, be prepared to uh, to listen in. So I'm gonna go ahead and. Uh, uh, go ahead and we'll start with uh, Sam De La Rosa and then right after that you'll hear uh, my interview with Jonathan Glavion. So enjoy. All right. We are here Sunday. It's day three of Wizard World Austin and I am hanging out with Sam De La Rosa. How you doing, man? Hey, how's it going? I'm doing well. Hey, how's your con going so far?
3: Uh, it's really, really good. There's a lot of people here, a lot of celebrities. Uh, I'm just happy to be here. Happy to be here. Well, I wanted to talk
1: to you first. We got to – might as well get it out of the way. Venom. You are huge on the Venom title, Lethal Protector. It's one of the most recognizable Venom pieces out there. What was it like working on that title? I know you've, you know, your whole wall is about Venom for the most part, so it's made been a big part of your life. What was that like? Yeah, you know,
3: uh, Spider Man has always been a favorite of mine since I was a little kid in the '60s, and my favorite villain uh, had always been uh, the Green Goblin, and then uh, Venom came on the scene and uh, just took over. Yeah. So, you know, I liked uh, Venom before I worked on the book, uh, Venom Lethal Protector Number 1. And then uh, I got a call one day, uh, and they said, hey, we're starting up a new book. It's going to be this Venom book. He's going to get his own title. You can't tell anybody for half a year. For so, half a year? <laughs> half a year before they let me know it's
1: it's funny because dc comics is doing those you know those earth one graphic novels those all their their own little universe thing i spoke to a, an unnamed artist who let me in on a secret he's like oh that's coming like two years from now <laughs> it's funny how long these projects get set up in advance
3: exactly so six months was a lifetime for me to keep quiet <laughs> and people ask me okay so what, what are you going to be doing next and i'm gonna say i i i would say i'm doing a spider-man related character and Many people guessed it's got to be Venom. So <laughs> I didn't say anything, but some yeah. people guessed.
1: The height of his introduction. I wanted to ask because, you know, some some of the fans of my podcast, they lovingly give me crap for being a big fan of symbiotes. What is it about the symbiotes that you love? Because I, I love them and I think they have their place in comicdom, but some people give them like their quintessential 90s. So what do you feel about yeah, that?
3: Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of things you can do with, uh, you know, the Venom symbiotes and the aliens, you know, from his planet. Um, you know, Carnage is, uh, is of course the very first uh, symbiote right after Venom, mm-hmm. and then uh, the other uh, five—I uh, forget how many they are—five or six symbiotes uh, right after Venom. Um, there, they were Agony, Scream, Riot, Lasher, and Phage. Mm-hmm. Uh, those guys—I was one of the first artists to work on them in venom lethal protector number four mm-hmm. and um it just seems like a, a great concept to, to to carry on from there you know kind of expand on on venom and these guys were created to uh bring down venom capture venom right. so they're kind of like you know uh uh not not uh on his side yeah <laughs> but i always thought they were cool i know they've uh, done storylines um Past the the book that I worked on, but you know I I didn't keep up with that, but I saw them in other storylines.
1: Yeah, there's more symbiotes now. Of course, you know Carnage, and then you've got Anti-Toxin, and then like or Toxin, and then Anti-Venom, and then now it, Venom's back because he's doing a movie, which is supposedly based on Lethal Protector, and they just did a huge event called Venomverse. And
3: so. Yeah, you know I'm, I'm a big fan of Venom, so uh, while I don't pick up uh, a lot of comics on a regular basis. I did pick up a few of the uh, Venomverse comic books. I love seeing um, other characters uh, Venomized. Yeah. But then, you know, I've been doing that since Venom Lethal Protector came out. People yeah. uh, have had me do commissions of characters being taken over by Venom. So it's uh, great that, you know, it's, it's caught on and Marvel is, has been doing them on their covers.
1: And how did you get started in the industry? I like to – everybody's different. It's one of those industries that's – everybody's in in inroad to this industry is so different so a lot we have a lot of listeners who are artists or budding artists that want to know all the stories of how people got into the industry you
3: know i think it's just extremely difficult now it's not the same as when i was trying to get in and it was very difficult for me to get in um getting into comics was something i always wanted to do since the second grade okay and i just had tunnel vision you know um so i just you know just drew uh Uh, Practiced, And when I got to high school, then uh, that's when I started sending in samples. And to my surprise, I I got back, you know, a couple of sentences, not just uh, a rejection form or as some people, they they get nothing. Yeah. You know, so it was encouraging. Um, And I did that uh, for years. No one ever told me that they were not going to hire me because I live in Texas. Yeah. And the, the companies are in New York City. They didn't want to deal with anybody that could not walk in and hand deliver the artwork. They, they'd already had a lot of problems with uh, artwork being delayed in the regular mail. Yeah. And or uh, things getting lost, yeah. completely lost. And comic books are uh, uh, on a deadline. You know, they schedule time at the printer. Their books must be there at a certain time. And if they're not, well, they, they have to put in a reprint. And when you put in a reprint, you lose readership and following and, and money. So, um, to, to, uh, my advantage, F- FedEx finally was created and the company started using them too bad that it, it wasn't created in the seventies because yeah. I had been trying since the seventies yeah. to get in. And if FedEx had been around in the seventies, uh, I pretty much, uh, would have been in in the seventies, but because of FedEx made it super reliable for artists, uh, all around the country to, to, uh, work and submit, uh, stuff to Marvel, finish it, uh, the, you know, uh, late in the afternoon, evening, Marvel will get it the next morning. So
1: how, how much of your work would you say is like you're the first choice Inker for, for that project? Because I know that Inker is one of those roles where like if a book is behind, they'll put like five or six of them on a title or like a utilitarian, you know, somebody who needs to get out pages real quick. Do you do a lot of that or do you primarily like I'm working with this artist? I'm known for working with this. Well, artist.
3: Well, I, I started out as a finisher. Yeah. So uh, as, as a finisher, you get layouts, you get breakdowns um you have to uh they're not complete so you just can't ink them so you have to pencil them yeah. so i started out penciling and inking uh both at dc and marvel um in 1982 and uh i think one is is more valuable when uh they can uh, uh finish the pencils and not just ink the pencils because yeah. that's a that's a time saver yeah. so they don't have to wait on the uh, penciler to do finish complete pencils they can just get layouts from him. Yeah. Like Sal Ducema, he he for ages he just did layouts. Yeah. And he could do you know two or three books, uh, a month, and they would get uh, excellent artists to uh, finish the work. Artists that could also draw, not mm. just not just ink. And inking, is drawing. It is. It is drawing. Uh, the final product is um, only what is printed uh, in ink.
1: Yeah.
3: Uh, so you know you have to be a good artist. You have to understand things. And um, I like to entertain. I like to contribute. Um, so um, I don't know um, uh, where I was as far as, you know, um, first, second or third choice. But yeah. I, I always had work. Yeah, I always had work. Um, as long as you improve yourself. Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, you meet a deadline, you do good quality work. I, I, you know, hated to turn out work, but I turned down work on a regular basis because I had to sleep. <laughs> yeah,
1: well, I wanted to jump over across the pond real quick uh, in terms of uh, comic-wise and do DC because we were talking the other day. You had a long, lengthy run on Firestorm. Of all the titles, did you have a choice in that? Did you just just a the job they offered you? Well, you
3: know, the uh, uh, editor, Danny O'Neill, uh, knew me from Marvel when I was submitting samples. Uh, you know, in the in the late '70s, uh, early '80s, and um, I had already uh, gotten some work uh, uh, since '82 at DC, and then. Uh, I was doing mainly Marvel work. Um, and then I just got a I just got a call from him. You know, hey, you've got Firestorm. Uh, are you available to do it as a regular assignment? And I like Denny. Yeah. You know, or, or as he likes to be known now, Dennis. Dennis? He, <laughs> I don't get it.
1: I call him Denny all the time. I, I'm a huge fan. Like, if you were to put my f- favorite... Denny O'Neill, and then sadly he's gone now. But Julie Schwartz, who was editor way way back in the yeah, day, I've yeah, I've known
3: I've known him as as Denny since I was buying his comics in the '60s when he was writing for for Charlton. He, yeah, he wrote a couple of stories uh, for Charlton comics. Was it Blue Beetle? I you think? know, uh, I I can't even remember what I'm thinking of. <laughs> I know he he wrote Children of Doom.
1: Yeah, he wrote a lot of weird <clears throat> stuff before he got put on regular titles. Yeah, yeah. So
3: yeah, yes, you know, so I I knew him and. Uh, I was, uh, uh, you know, in, uh, honored that, you know, he wanted me to work on, on one of his books. So um, I, I like Firestorm. I was familiar with uh, Firestorm. So um, I was happy to be on it. What was that like? Because
1: the, by the time that came out, Firestorm had been out for a while. Everybody's used to the puffy sleeves. And then you come on, and this is the era of, like, the elemental Firestorm, where it's, like, a completely... Almost like symbiote-looking crazy, you know,
3: suit. What yeah, did you, you think know, of I, I can hardly remember the the deadline because it was like, you know, the the late '80s. You know, it yeah. was 30 years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was 30 years ago. Oh but yeah. yeah. but I remember they they uh, kind of tweaked the the concept and uh, they created a like a entirely new being. Yeah. That was a, a firestorm. Um, I I thought it was exciting. You know, every few years the companies like to shake things up you know, um, uh, um, impress the old readers and try to, uh, you know, uh, rope in new readers. Yeah. Um, I, I, I just enjoyed it. You know, I, just a, I, I like doing it.
1: A good job. Good job. Great job. job. It. it was yeah. a
3: great job. I got to work with, um, uh, uh, uh excellent people. Um, uh, I was, I was real happy working in uh, the O'Neill office.
1: Yeah. You told me uh, just the other day, just to wrap up, just because Green Lantern-based podcast, you said you worked on an issue of Green Lantern back in the day. Yeah. And, of course, I got one of those issues signed up, Firestorm. It has Firestorm and Green Lantern on the cover. What was your experience? What do you remember about working yeah, well, on those Green Lantern titles? My, my title? first
3: assignment for DC was a backup feature in Action Comics oh, 534, and uh. it had a cameo by Green Lantern on yeah. the very splash page. Oh, wow. So that, that was cool. And then I think um, – the, uh, uh, second or third assignment from them also in 1982 was, uh, Green Lantern number 160. Okay. And I got, uh, layouts, uh, by Keith Pollard mm-hmm. and Col- Pollard is a, uh, Silver Age great. No, oh, yeah. Uh, from, uh, Marvel since.
1: One of the underrated artists, yeah. not one that you hear on the tip of everybody's tongue. Yeah, yeah.
3: I mean, he's one of my favorites. So he's been at Marvel since, you know, the, uh, early seventies, 73 or yeah. so. So I got to finish his pencils and, and, uh, finish the ink on that and, uh. It was, you know, Green Lantern everywhere. So. Oh yeah. It's great. Sounds good. Well, I
1: wanted to thank you so much for your time. But before we let you go, do you have any upcoming works or any upcoming shows in the next few months?
3: Anything you want to hype before, uh, before we shut off? Um, I do two or three shows a month. Okay. I don't remember where I'm going to be at. <laughs> well, what's a good <laughs> you place? Know? Your website or uh, your Facebook? It, my, my Facebook is the best. and okay. My address there is artist Sam De La Rosa, All one long line, one long run-on line. No, yeah. no spaces. Artist Sam De La Rosa. You'll find me there. I list where I'm going to be there. I know I'm in Louisiana, Shreveport next month in January. Uh, first week, I'm a guest of Wizard World New Orleans. Okay. I know I've got some other shows in between. I also do theater appearances. Oh, yeah. So with Alamo Drafthouse in San Antonio, whenever they have a superhero movie mm-hmm. and I'm in town, um, I'm invited at their lobby and I bring my whole setup and, you know, I talk to people. Uh Showing my stuff, selling
1: my stuff, and talk about superheroes. Yeah, I love Alamo. I've got a lot of friends who are management at Alamo, and I've been born and raised in Austin. So. It's a good theater. Yeah, absolutely. It was good speaking to all you. Right, thanks sir. so much, and uh, thanks for all your work. Seriously, all right. we all, as fans, really appreciate what Thank you've you done. Thank you very much for your interest. Thanks, man. All right, guys. We to get a picture together real quick? All right, so Wizard World Day 3, and we're with Jonathan Glapion. How you doing, man? How's your con going? Pretty good, pretty good. Pretty awesome. busy. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, I just wanted to talk to you. Uh, you're huge with uh, the Batman stuff, you know, with uh, the, the launch of uh, the New 52 right. with Greg Capullo. And now DC Metal is going balls to the wall. Crazy. Yeah, crazy. What's it What's it like being a part of the launch of the new thing and now a few years later they're doing another huge event and you're a big part of that? What's it like going from event to event like that?
0: Um, the, the Going from event to event, it, it's pretty cool. Uh, but honestly, it's I get more psyched just working with Greg. Uh-huh. Um, I always tell people he could be working on the Smurfs. So I want to ink it. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's it's kind of surreal, you know, because New 52, like the, the Court of Owls, they reset the number. Yeah. to Number one, you know, so that, that was a pretty big deal. And, you know, we ran into Scott in New York before we started uh, metal, me and my wife and at the D.C. party. And he said that he had this book, this metal book. And he said, oh, it's going to be bigger than Court of Owls. And I just kind of blew him off. I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. <laughs> I, he's talented, you know, but how do you beat that? You yeah. know, how do you compete with that?
1: There are um, a lot of people who are, are not fans. My brother-in-law here yeah. are comic fans, but I gave him Court of Owls. Loves it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, I, I hadn't even read. You know, I work in comics, and I hadn't read any any books in yeah. years and years. And I read along with Court of Owls. Yeah. I got my comps, and I didn't even crack them open until everyone got their books in the, you know. You want to read it shop. with the fans? And I read it yeah. with the fans, so it was uh, pretty, it was pretty fun. Cool. It was a good read. It's a good book to jump in on, you know. If you Absolutely. Haven't, if you've been away from comics for a while, uh, Court of Owls was a perfect jumping on spot.
1: So how do you feel about Metal? I mean, the Metal is... I, you know, I've been reading it, too, and I'm yeah. a huge DC Universe fan. So there's, yeah. like, hints of, you know, Plastic Man and the Hawks and, you know, yeah. Challengers of the Unknown and all this stuff. How does it feel going from this, like, Batman-centric story to this DC Universe story?
0: Well, it, it, the cool thing about it is by the time we're done with this event, it feels like I would have been able to eat every <laughs> DC character, you know? Yeah. Um, n- no other... Uh, Scratches it to, to itch or whatever the saying is. Uh, <laughs> so, um, so it's pretty cool uh, to to ink characters that I d- hadn't even thought about. You yeah. know Um, I didn't even know it was going to be a book like that. I, I thought it was just like another Batman. Deal. Yeah, like
1: just an inter inter yeah, title crossover, well, but not a thing. Yeah,
0: if you remember, Greg swore he would never do a, a team book. Yeah. You know, and interviews and things like that. So when I saw there was a team book I'm like, man, Scott really got you on this one. <laughs> yeah. Well so, so
1: awesome. this is the zenith now. Like you're you're at the top right now. So tell me back in the day. You said you had a unique story about how you got into the industry. So how was it like for you?
0: Uh, for me I I got in the industry. I saw a um I, I saw a local comic book um store was doing a a signing when I lived in Phoenix, Arizona. And I there was the Inker of Curse of Spawn, the colorist, and then the graphic designer. Mm-hmm. And before I went to that show, I saw. Uh, a, a sh- you remember Entertainment Tonight? Yes. Do you guys remember they used to do a segment? How they do that, and they showed Ye- how the comic book was made. Yes. Well, they did how Spawn was made, and they showed Greg on the phone in New York and Todd on the phone in Phoenix, telling him, you know, what the script yeah. was and what what he wanted to see in a page. That's when I realized that these were each individual jobs that you didn't all have to live in the same studio space. Yes. So then for me, it was like, oh, that's a possibility. You yeah. Know? Um, I'd never done anything with any comic book stuff. I would always paint it and did more traditional things. Um, so I was looking to try something different. So um, when I saw that, when I saw that, that show, I, I just happened to run across that flyer. Like a couple days later, or a week later. Um, so then I, I went to the signing and the, the I just talked to the inker because he was the closest thing to a penciler. Had a penciler been there, I probably would approach yeah approached the penciler. But uh, I figured he was the closest thing to the original page, so I'll talk to him. And I had no portfolio, no nothing. Yeah. Uh, and I just asked him one question: What kind of nib do you use? And then I walked away. Yeah. And I hung out in the comic shop. And after his interview was done, or his uh, signing was done. Um, he just came up to me and we started chatting about art, and he realized that I had done professional work and, and I had a knowledge of art and, right. and the tools, some of the tools. Um, so he gave me his business card and he said that he was looking for an assistant, um, just grunt work really. Wow. Uh, so I was like, oh sure, you know, and I, I gave him a call. Turned out he lived in the same apartment complex as I did. Oh. Like a what? building over, around the corner, <laughs> right. Talk so you can set up your own little studio. <laughs> right. So, and, and that apartment complex was literally like a five, three to five minute drive from Todd's house. Oh, wow. And like 10 minutes from the Todd McFarlane Productions, uh, yeah. the, the offices. Um, so I was in the middle of this hub of, you know, McFarland people and yeah. I didn't, I just didn't know it. Yeah. So when people ask me, how do you break into comics? I, I can't give you a realistic. <laughs> There's no way. I have no idea. Get, watch something on TV and then get lucky. Um, so that, that's how I kind of broke in. And I, I did the first bit of work uh, on a book completely free. And it was just spotting blacks, which is where you, wherever you see an X on the page in a specific shape or whatever, you fill it black with ink. Yeah. That's all I did. <laughs> wow. For the first month. And I, I told him I'd do it for free. So if I screwed up nobody felt bad he didn't pay me anything and I didn't take anything and I and I did it kneeling on his coffee to his coffee table yeah and then after that I started doing backgrounds and then so I worked my way up through the page and then nine months later Todd offered me salmon twitch
1: Wow so what was it like going from working with Todd McFarlane and then I, one of my favorites I feel it's an underrated title haunt,
0: haunt. I love haunt. <laughs> haunt was weird because uh, you know I, I was on Twitter and I was I was looking through a bunch of my original art uh-huh. and I ran across Salmon Twitch page one from issue one and I I had had Todd sign it because it was my first page I was going to keep it yeah my first solo book and he signed it he said great job and you know Todd McFarlane um and I ran across it and I was just kind of all nostalgic and I tweeted the picture out to him and then he said that uh he had a he wanted to talk to me about helping out on a book yeah. I was like, oh, wow, okay. What book is it? He said, Haunt. I knew nothing about Haunt. Right. Like, okay. And then he mentioned that Greg was be coming back. Yeah. So I was like, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in. So I didn't care if I was just doing a panel or whatever. I'm, I'm in. And it turned out he wanted me to ink it digitally. Okay. So then I was kind of like, ah, oh, come on. Yeah. I was hurt a little bit. Uh, so I inked the first few issues digital. Yeah. And then... I decided to ink them over blue line and not tell them. Yeah. Uh, because I I needed to show Greg what I could do traditionally. Yeah. Um, because I knew Greg wasn't too hot on the digital stuff. A lot of people aren't.
1: Even though the, the tools are getting better, like the iPad
0: Pro is a lot of things It can I never give use. you an original page. Yeah, that's true. So I don't yeah. care how good the tools yeah. get, it'll, <laughs> never, it'll never give you an original page. So that, sure. that's always the problem. So... Yeah. Uh, so I I. I lied to Todd and told him I was still inking it digital but it was really traditional <laughs> um, because I wanted to be able to show Greg kind of the best of me yeah um, and, and I didn't think digital was the best of me it was I was not into it yeah uh, I tried to make it work but I gotcha. so that, that was the haunt thing
1: yeah for sure and I wanted to because it's a Green Lantern primarily podcast you did the Agent Orange storyline and then yeah. you also inked one of the best uh, crossover uh, events which was the Wonder Woman title right? The, oh,
0: uh, with, are you talking about David Finch?
1: Yeah, the, yeah. There was there was a three issue Blackest Night Wonder Woman. Oh, yeah. Oh, that
0: was over Nicola Scott,
1: was it? Nicholas name? Scott, because I think. Um, yeah. Oh, what's his name? Greg Horn did the covers. Yeah, I yeah. Think. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but I mean, talk about a big event, Blackest Night. The lead up yeah. to Blackest Night, and then a miniseries within that. Would yeah. you? I mean, I, I love, personally, we all love Nicholas Scott's work. Yeah. So, what was it like?
0: I, I felt like I kind of struggled with it, I don't know, it was, for me it was, I don't know if our styles matched really well, um, I did the best I could do, yeah, but it it definitely was cool, cool working on it, it was, it was top notch work, you know, people were top notch, yeah, um. Wherever I landed, I don't know, but yeah. <laughs> no, it, um, I didn't have any problem with the art.
1: <laughs> <cool>. <laughs> what was it like with Philip Tan? Because I know his style's a lot more detailed. And... Philip
0: Tan's funny. <laughs> Philip Tan, so me and Philip Tan, we worked together for quite a quite a bit of time, um, and the styles always were all over the place. Yeah. Um, but on the Green Lantern thing, we deliberately talked about a different look for him. Yeah. Um, I don't know how we survived it. I don't know. Maybe I didn't make my deadlines. I, I think I did, but I don't know how I did. I don't, I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't remember anything being late. But yeah. um, when we, we both talk about it and laugh about, you know, looking back, I don't know how we survived that. It was so detailed, um, and just the different type of hatching we were doing. We referenced a lot of um, Space Girl by Travis. Travis. Right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah I can see that. We referenced a lot of Space Girl yeah. for the rendering, and we wanted to do a different kind of line yeah. uh, for Philip. Um, and then he started to want to paint.
1: <laughs>
0: so I'm like, come on, let's not change. Let's stay this way. Um, but yeah, that, to this day, that's still some of my favorite art.
1: Yeah. It's, yeah. it's beautiful. It's, it's really great. beautiful. And speaking of, you said we were talking about deadlines. One thing I like to ask anchors, how do you deal with it? Cause I know like if the writer's late, then the artist has got to rush. And if the artist has got to rush, your deadline's even smaller So you got to be versatile versatile to be an inker. I know that. So how do you deal with it yourself?
0: Yeah, you got to make sure you're not playing video games. (laughs) Um, I don't know how other people deal with it. I I think I got really lucky by who I broke in with in Todd McFarlane's camp. Um, Because if you remembered any of the the books that Todd produced, which weren't a whole bunch of books, but there weren't multiple inkers on books. And that was deliberate. Yeah. Todd wanted you to know who the it, penciler, who the inker, and who the colors was. And the look to be the same. Yeah. Yeah. So I never had a way out. Yeah. From the time I started, it was, this is your responsibility. Mm-hmm. So, and if you're late, we're late because of you. And yeah. I never wanted that. No. Um, so some, you know, you some people you can crack under that pressure or you can... It, kind of embrace it.
1: Yeah. Pony up and yeah, do the yeah, job. Yeah.
0: Do the job. Yeah. You know, it's a lot of long hours. Um, but what I learned from Todd was, you know, this was taking pride in this was my work and I wasn't going to have anybody else touch it. Yeah. Um, so it made you, you took a sense of, there was a sense of ownership. Yeah. You know, a lot of times inkers are kind of looked at as like invisible guys or, and it's funny because a lot of times when a book sucks, yeah, you know, the ink sucks yeah you know but when it looks great the pencil's amazing yeah
1: (laughs) yeah especially someone who's familiar with an artist style they're like well clearly the inker screwed that up so
0: clearly it's never a combination of two people working together (laughs) it's only the penciler but somehow that magic black stuff just (laughs) carried over from the lead and turned into ink um so uh (laughs) about <laughs> I'm losing my keeping a schedule yeah keeping a schedule so <laughs> so I just you know I, I made a point even when I started with Todd I wasn't gonna get up and, and work in my underwear yeah. yeah take a shower I get dressed like I'm leaving the house yeah but I sit down at work yeah um, and, and I just made sure that you know I let the biggest thing you need to do is let everyone around you know mm-hmm. that your job isn't actually, it's actually a real job. Yeah. So, to, to a lot of beginning anchors, I, I always tell them, you have to teach the people around you that your work is real. Yeah. Um, and that that eliminates distractions. That eliminates friends coming over at random times unannounced saying, hey, let's go to this. Oh yeah,
1: you can draw later. Yeah, you yeah, just draw later. Yeah. Man, it's
0: cool, you know, you're doing what you love, draw it, you know, work on it later. Yeah. So once you do that, then you eliminate that problem. Yeah. Um, and then it's just really just grinding it out, and you know, it, you are inkers are affected because publishers tend to not have the, the respect for inkers nowadays, especially. They feel it's easier to just get another monkey, and then we have three or four monkeys on doing the same job. So what happens is that cuts into my income. Yeah. Um, but they don't. You don't see them do that with the penciler. No. They don't bring in two, three different pencilers. Because they figure, well, that's going to change the look. Well, so will two or three different inkers.
1: Yeah, you but
0: know, inking's just tracing. It's it, right, not going to matter. Just, <laughs> right, exactly. But, but, you know, any good inker is going to have his own style Yep. Um, and, and, and interpret things differently. Yeah, so sure. you put multiple inkers on a book, it's going to look different anyway. Absolutely. So, um, I don't know. No, for sure.
1: Well, I just wanted to to thank you so much for your time, but I wanted to, while you had a chance, what kind of stuff do you have coming out pretty soon? I know DC Metal is starting to wrap up. We're kind of, we finished all the the one shots, but Metal itself is still slowly wrapping up. Any upcoming projects or appearances at other cons you want to talk about? There's uh, Metal,
0: we're on issue five, actually, me and Greg. Greg just started issue five. I think he's um, five pages in, actually. Yeah. Um, So when I get back, I'll get to start on that. And then on to issue six. And then after that, I go where Greg goes. So right. wherever Greg will have me, for as long as Greg will have me, um, that's what I, I want to do. Okay. Um, so as far as conventions, we are. Hmm, I know we have a. My wife does my conventions. <laughs> <laughs> she, she's my art rep and manager, so she does all the conventions. Yeah. So I never know what the next one is. What is the next convention? Uh, Well, I don't want to say. Well, yeah, you're not with Wizards. Yeah. The next convention is uh, St. Louis. St. Louis. Okay, cool. The very first weekend in February. February. And that was not one we had planned, but we got invited, so. Okay. And then then we're going to do some more wizard shows and all okay. that kind of stuff
1: so if anybody wants to buy an original page get a commission whatever how do they contact you
0: um commissions are almost impossible <laughs> <laughs> don't contact me <laughs> um uh, if you go to glapion.ink I-N-K, okay. that's my website okay and um you can uh pick up original art there cool. uh request commissions Sometimes it happens. Sometimes it's, it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. And then social media is just my first and last name on Twitter, Instagram. Uh, and that's YouTube? You, yeah, YouTube. I have a YouTube channel that I swear will update <laughs> soon. It's been like five or six years.
1: Could people so, watch you ink pages and stuff? Yeah, I actually okay. am
0: working on a Court of Owls back then. Okay. Pages, so I have some stuff. Uh, and I try to give, you know, some pointers to people. Yeah. That are aspiring inkers and just different, my perspective. Um, I'm not really teaching thing. videos, just my thought process. This is what I worked work. for me. If it yeah, worked for you, yeah. great. If it doesn't, yeah, this is my philosophy of yeah. how I go about work. So. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Awesome. If it doesn't work, it's not my experience. Awesome. Yeah. Well,
1: I want to thank you so much for taking the time out,
2: and we really nice. appreciate all your work appreciate and everything. It, thank you. Thank
1: you. Like a picture together yeah, all right, dude, what do you think?
2: Very nicely done, Chad. Very nicely done. <laughs> Uh, those, poor, those poor inkers need love, man. They need lots of love, and, Ch- and Chad Bukowman is throwing some
1: out there for them. That's right. That's right.
2: It's a hard knock life for inkers.
1: It, I mean, it is. Uh, for sure. The artists always get all the credit, so uh, definitely the inkers are, are are pulling their own. You know, what's actually really cool? Well, first of all, uh, I gotta I gotta I gotta bring it up because anybody who's ever listened to interviews like on the go with us. You know, the stuff that I do when I go to a convention or something and bring it back. um, We'll notice a significant uptick in audio quality (laughs) with those interviews. Um, Those interviews were conducted on the floor of the Comic-Con, right next to, like, the celebrity area where all the photos and autographs are being done. So when you consider that it's on the con floor, right next to a very high traffic area... And then consider how freaking awesome that audio sounds. Yeah. <laughs> this is what happens when you work at Apple. <laughs> uh, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not. Uh, it, it's, uh, I, I, for a long time, I've been using this uh, uh, handy little uh, Olympus uh, digital voice recorder that actually has a crap ton of positive reviews over on Amazon. But a lot of people are like, oh, it's great for, like, recording lectures and stuff like that. So people would, like, leave it on the podium or something and record the lecture and they'd go take the notes for the class or whatever. That's like a large silent room (laughs) where there's only one voice. So that's what I've been using. And it picks up everything, Uh, you know, all the background noise and stuff like that. But going through, like, a lot of the stuff on the Apple website, I found a little microphone. That you actually plug into your lightning port on your phone and it you, there's an app you download with it and you can control the way in which the, the microphone receives audio. So there's actually a specific setting where if I'm holding it in front of me, it's po- the, 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 the audio it picks up is from me and whoever's directly across from me, everything to the side is and, and above is secondary so it's like perfect for interviews so that's the setting i used for this thing and holy crap does it make a difference um for anybody out there who does what i do for this type of a thing or is there's like a loud environment or something and you're trying to record just a conversation it's called the sure that's s-h-u-r-e 88 motive M M O T I V. so it's it's awesome I'm not going to – I'm really not trying to do, like, a plug or anything. But just because the audio quality from what I've been doing in the past was so, oh, God, it's all this background noise I can't get rid of. It's such crap. And then I get this step up. Like, (laughs) if I'm impressed by it, you guys, if you need something like this, you'll be impressed too. So seriously, grab that. But outside of that, it was just really cool. Um, I go to – I got two press passes, one for me and one for my uh, brother-in-law, Gary. Um, and for those of you who haven't heard of me explain this reasoning before, anytime I've ever done uh, uh, a Comic-Con on a press pass, I get the interviews, but I come back with like five or six pictures because <laughs> nobody I'm, – I'm physically doing the interview. I can't be like also taking pictures of myself doing the interview. So I just need somebody there to snap pictures while I'm doing this. So that's why Gary tags along. So I can get photos of me doing the interviews with the people I'm interviewing, so on and so forth. And hopefully come back with more photos from the con. And um, so he tagged along. We had a great time. We went to several panels. Um, We did go to a Firefly panel. Jules Sait, Summer Glau, and Sean Mayer were all there. Uh, That is River, Kaylee, and Simon from Firefly. Uh Gary and I got a picture with them. We split that cost in half and got a group picture with them. That was cool. There was a Felicia Day panel we went to. That was cool. Um, the coolest panel I think we went to though was um was uh Kevin Conroy and uh oh what's his name who voiced Robin slash Nightwing. Oh, I know who you mean. Yeah. Oh. We went we went to that. Um, and, and a lot of people were asking questions and stuff. We had to leave slightly early from the panel, uh, but we were definitely enjoying ourselves. I, it's the best because I remember while we're at this panel, one of the people in line asked a question. And he asked uh, them uh, while they were, they were at the panel uh, – oh, Lauren Lester, that was his name, by the way uh, – question – What would your character, Nightwing, say to Bruce in the Batman Beyond timeline knowing Bruce and Barbara had a relationship? And Lauren Lester whips out his Nightwing voice. And in his Nightwing voice, after a pause, says, finally, I got somewhere first. (laughs) (laughs) And then Kevin Conroy in his Batman voice says, yeah, but then she came home to daddy. (laughs) (laughs) that was a lot of fun to hear live and in person. Uh, but there was a lot of, you know, it, it's, it's a wizard world show, lots of good, uh, shopping. There was a guy that was doing like an art booth slash comic booth. He had $5 trades and most of them were marble. Um, so I got a bunch of those or $5 trades or five for 20. Uh, so I got a bunch of those. I bu- got a bunch of dollar comics. Um, Mark, you said you were reading – was it Superman around the time that Green Lantern, Kyle Rayner was introduced? Were you also reading uh, Superman or were you just reading Green Lantern after Kyle Rayner came out? Oh, no. I, well, I read
2: – I think I read all the Superman books after the reign of the Superman for a period of time, but I think – I'm trying to remember which ones I kept. I think, action, I think Action Comics might have been the one that I read the longest. Um. I ask
1: because I stumbled across an issue of Superman I'd never seen before. Um, this might not be a shock to you. might not be a shock to any of our listeners, but I myself had never seen it. Superman 105? It's a cover with Superman and Kyle Rayner, and there's like a big purple robot thing attacking them. It's a team-up with Kyle and Superman.
2: Yeah, I'm pretty sure I have that somewhere.
1: Yeah, I'd never seen this before. I'd never read it before. I don't think I've ever seen this cover while scrolling before, but I was like, "Oh, that's interesting," and it's a pretty interesting little comic. I've never seen that before. So, Green Lantern wise, I got a new comic. <laughs> uh, but back to the interviews. Uh, so, Sam De La Rosa, what do you what do you think of that particular side of things? Talks a bit about Venom and Firestorm. Oh, I and- was
2: going to say that I, my reaction to that, of course, was, "Boy, you." Chad was in all his glory. Just, just even when you were listening, it's like, oh, he must have had such a smile on his face. <laughs> that, that, that's, yeah. My initial, my, my thoughts were more thinking of you and that one in particular because of the fact that it's, you know, Venom and and, and Firestorm are so, are so, so very dear to your heart.
1: <laughs> <laughs> for sure, for sure.
2: I actually uh, got a copy of. Uh,
1: Venom Lethal Protector number one from him. Uh, that that he had uh, signed, and it's all when he when he signs this, and this is like the, the shiny red, you know, uh, cover of Venom Lethal Protector number one that you see out there. When he signs these, he signs his name between Venom and Lethal Protector, and then he also does like a silver head sketch, on top of the cover, so you can still see the cover. But in the right light, you can also see the sketch that he does. So that was pretty freaking cool. Um, and I got that. Oh, I forgot to mention the other Green Lantern thing I got for really cheap. And I'm talking 10 bucks. Green Lantern number 37, the first appearance of Evil Star. Well, that's cool. Yeah. So I, I somebody didn't know what they had. Uh, so I bought it for $10. Uh, it was... I'm just glad I have a first appearance. So now I've got the first appearance of Black Hand, first appearance of Jon Stewart, first appearance of Guy Gardner. Now I've got the first appearance of Evil Star. I think I also want to get the first appearance of Sinestro and the first appearance of Star Sapphire at some point. But we'll see. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, anyways, uh, uh, Sam was great to talk to. I actually contacted him in advance before the con on Facebook. Asked, you know, just, hey, I will be approaching you at some point. Just want to let you know in advance if it's okay to set up an interview and and do all this. So that that was – he was really uh, gracious. He, I, I watched a couple of interviews with him on uh, that I found on, like, YouTube and stuff that were, like, three minutes maybe. So I was thinking that maybe he'd cut me short. But, I mean, he was more than happy to hang out and answer some questions with me, uh, and he didn't cut me off at all. So I thought that was pretty freaking cool of him. Um but yeah, it was really nice to meet him. I am a huge Venom fan. I am a huge Firestorm fan. Um, you know, not that that's a shock to really anybody. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was cool. And then I got to talk to uh, Jonathan Galapion. So, what would you think of that one?
2: That was the first one I actually listened to. When... So, I, I I thought that that was that was pretty cool. You kind of get the. Uh... You kind of get the the inker's life. I, yeah, that made me think of the inker's life. I think that that was that was that was one of the things, like a lesson learned from that one. I think.
1: <laughs> oh, for sure.
2: And, and he's right. You know, a lot of people. You know, if, if the art is
1: bad, they'll blame the inker, because a lot of a lot of people. Uh, I mean, some people follow a book for a character. Some people follow a book for a writer. And there's also a huge chunk of people that follow a book for the artist. I'm one of those people when it comes to people like Sean Gordon Murphy. If Sean Gordon Murphy's doing something, I'm going to try out the first issue at the very least. Um, but the people who follow the book for the artist, you know, if the art is bad, they're always like, oh, it's the anchor's fault. <laughs> because, you know, there's nobody else that could be at fault <laughs> in that entire process. Um, so I, I, I do – and that's something we all, like – I feel like we all, like, logically know, but don't actually – remember or follow through with at the time of criticizing a book so
2: and, and when you that that point about which when i listened to it that's i thought this at the time and when, when you were talking now it just it just reminded me again the idea that yeah when, when you know when the, that if it's really good, you know, it's like you know the artist will get the get the credit. If it's really bad, oh, let's blame the inker. So kind of it kind of <laughs> reminds me of since we of when we always talk about uh, when it comes to the movie stuff that if the if the movie doesn't work out, it's always gonna it's always the studio's fault. <laughs> the studio <laughs> always interfered. But if the movie's a hit, oh, it, all the it it, it was the direct, the director and the writer alone. Hmm. They were brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> it's their, you know, it's that kind of thing. It's just that it's, you know, it's it's obviously a team effort. So there, there's enough wealth and enough blame to go around.
1: <laughs> right. Uh, so my my experience with uh, Jonathan Glapion was actually pretty interesting. When I approached his table, this is, you know, actually him and Sam were on the same row, uh, so that was interesting. But when I approached his table, he was busy signing and doing like a head sketch or something like that, and. Um, <clears throat> So I actually talked to his wife, who man- helps manage his his work and-, and so on and so forth. And, um, you know, she was like, oh, this guy wants to do an interview with you. She took down my name. She got the Lantern Cast card and all this stuff. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, he just kind of nodded and said, okay. And uh, we set it up for Sunday morning uh, at the con. And um, so my experience with him that day was just kind of like a, oh, hey, how are you? Okay, i got to get back to doing what I'm doing. And that in no way am I implying that he was being rude or anything like that, but it was just a very quick, like, hi, how are you? Okay, cool, bye, uh, kind of a moment. When I approached him on Sunday to do the interview, uh, he was already talking with uh, another guy at his table, and then he was actually talking with a little girl. Uh, She must have been, God, I want to say 11 Ten or eleven, and she was asking him all kinds of questions about being an artist, being an inker, what she needs to do, her, like what kind of advice he has, like all this stuff. And he was happily answering and firing things off. And at the end of it, he gave her a page, and I don't mean like like a like a head sketch or something. He gave her a a, a page of original art. Like, I'm not saying that anybody should be going to hit up Jonathan at a con and ask him for free shit. That is not what you do to anybody uh, in any way, shape, or form. But if you're gonna it, do it, make sure you bring a kid. That's the moral. Of the story. <laughs> no, that's not that's not the moral of the story. <laughs> uh, but but the but the fact that he she was by herself, you know, she. I mean, she wasn't there at the con by herself, but she was, you know, I guess her dad or somebody was doing a table or was further along elsewhere in the con or or whatever. She was just trying to get as much information as she could. And, you know, this is like a 10, 11 year old girl. We all know that when we were that age, the things we wanted to do when we grew up, that all fluctuates. I mean, hell, people go into college declaring a major and then halfway through, change their major drastically to something else. So if you change that much of your your future plans for yourself in that short span of, amount of a time, it's entirely possible that this girl in the future could never have anything to do with art. But And we all know that, including Jonathan Glapion. But he still took the time... To answer her questions, give her the best advice that he felt he could, and then like gave her a reason to feel excited by giving her a page of original art. And this is not just like a page of original art that, you know, you or I would go like, oh, we're going to frame it and we're going to put it up and we're going to brag to our friends that we have it. She's 11. She may do that. But also, because she wants it, she's going to have an experience with that. She's going to look at that page and remember the advice that he gave her. She's not going to just look at it and go, oh, that's a pretty picture. She's going to study it and remember what he said and go, oh, yeah, I can see what he was talking about when he said blah, 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 blah. And that I can see it right here on this page. That's going to be like a teachable tool for that girl. And I just thought that was so freaking cool. And I don't know if... If I mean he he did it you know in, in in view of the public, um so I don't think he was trying to keep it a secret or anything but, I, if so forgive me Jonathan if you if you hear this and you wanted to try to keep that low key but I, quite honestly that kind of thing deserves to be applauded. I mean hell even if he didn't give her the original page that's still something that should be applauded. Because people are coming by your. Yeah, people are coming by your booth and getting signatures or getting things sketched or whatever, and those are paying customers. But he still was like zeroed in on this girl so he could help her out. And she wasn't giving him any money, but he was zeroed in in on her and helping her out. And I thought that was freaking awesome.
2: Yes, absolutely. Very, very impressive.
1: For sure. Uh, So I just wanted to mention that – it was cool for Gary too because Gary is eh about comics. Like he read a bunch of Ultimate Spider-Man or stuff when he was a kid, uh, but really nothing beyond that. Uh, I tried to get him into comics a few years ago. I mean, he's you know he married my sister, so he's trying to pull me into his world of video games and stuff, which <laughs> he can only do so much because I can't play very many of them. Uh, so I try to pull him into my world of comics. He Got really excited. Uh, I, I uh, he he read the Court of Owls, the New Fifty Two, the Court of Owls stuff. Really enjoyed that and read all the way through to almost uh, a death of uh, death of the family. Uh, so he's familiar with Greg Capullo's art, and then he's familiar with um, with uh, Jonathan Glapion's inks because he inked Greg Capullo on on, on those Scott Snyder stories from the New Fifty Two. And he's working on DC Metal now. And Glapion had a bunch of pages from the Court of Owls stuff. So it was cool to see Gary be more engaged because primarily he's there to help me out and, you know, just kind of be immersed with his brother-in-law and spend some quality family time together and just kind of be in my world for a bit. But then there's things here and there that just like catch his interest. And it was cool to see him kind of get sucked into slowly paging through those original art pages, checking out some of the prints and so on and so forth. So that was pretty cool. Um, But it was cool talking to him because his breadth of work is so varied. I mean, he, he if you look at the art. By Greg Capullo on like the original uh, on the Batman New Fifty Two stuff on the st- stuff he's doing now with DC Metal, and then compare it to the way that uh, Philip Tan did his style on the Agent Orange story. Like, those are two different art styles, and he inked them both. So I thought that was pretty interesting because he did mention in that interview that Philip was like, "Hey, I want to try something new." <laughs> That he did. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, got a lot of stuff taken care Oh, actually, I found – because, you know, Sunday, all those booths are, like, trying to get rid of their merch and selling stuff. Yep. Just what I got for $2. A DC Universe Justice League Unlimited, um, you know, the Bruce Tim style action figures. They're, like, three inches tall, something like that. Of the Green Guardsmen. Oh, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I think I do. <laughs> so for those of you who don't uh, don't know, for some stupid reason, when they were doing the Justice League Unlimited, Justice League uh, well, it was at that time Justice League Unlimited. The Justice League got sucked into a parallel universe, where the Justice League of that world was having some sort of an issue. Well, for some stupid reason, they didn't use the JSA or they couldn't use the JSA. So they created another sort of league. And instead of, like, The Flash, Jay Garrick, you had, like, The Streak. And instead of Black Canary, you had Black Siren. And instead of, I don't know, Superman or somebody, you had Tom Turbine. And instead of Alan Scott, Green Lantern, you had The Green Guardsman. Well, I got a Green Guardsman figure (laughs) for $2. Like, a mint in package. The package looks fantastic. It was... I mean, the only other thing I can say that I want from that line is there's a pack of three where they actually did, in that style, Alan Scott, Hawkman, and Jay Garrick. And it's a three-pack. But those characters in those costumes never appeared on the Justice League Unlimited or Justice League show, so... I don't know. I'm rambling about stuff I bought rather that a, that than. That
2: was a good find, though.
1: Yeah, for sure. I, I didn't even know the Green Guardsman figure existed, quite honestly. Um, so yeah, it was cool to find it for two bucks. So. Yeah. Oh. And, uh, Gary drugged me over to half price books. There's a ton of them across the country. I think most of them are largely in the south. Do you have half price books up north? I don't. I don't think there's any around here. Okay, so half price books. Uh, for those of you who don't know, it's uh, and they sell half price books, duh. Uh, so I mean, it's uh, people. You you take your books that you haven't read in a while, you take it there, and they give you some money for them, and then they sell them. Um, so there's hundreds of different kinds of books. There's graphic novels, records, Blu-rays, DVDs, so on and so forth. You name it. So he dragged me over to our local one of our local half price books. We have about five or six of them in and around the Austin area. Uh, And I got a book, uh, an H.G. Wells collection of his various works, Time Machine and Invisible Man and all that stuff. Um, But I also found, because I do the Action Comics Weekly podcast, you know the archive editions, like the $50 color reprints that are no longer being printed? Yes. I found an archive edition of Volume 1, the Blackhawk. So I got I got the the Blackhawk uh, archive edition volume one, and this is like the stuff that was printed before DC acquired the license. So I've never read this stuff before, and this is like the OG OG stuff, and I got it for like ten bucks. <laughs> so I've got a bunch of stuff between the five dollar. Uh, between the $5 trades, uh, the H.G. Wells book, the Blackhawk book, the first appearance of, of, uh, of uh, Evil Star, the Superman title, and a couple of other things I needed to fill in various gaps in my collections, I got a ton of reading material out of this thing. And I'll tell you something, and I'm going to be quite honest with you. Those interviews, I tried hard. I tried really hard to do a bunch of prep for those, and because of time constraints, because the fact that I had to uh, – Gary was actually going to stay with me during that because of where he lives and everything in the Austin area was just – and, and my, my apartment's proximity to the convention just made more sense for him to stay with me for the weekend. Because we were just so busy, you know, bro-in-lawing out the entire time and just kind of hanging out, I didn't get a chance to do as much reading for prep as I thought. And, man, am I always underestimating the value of a conversation in an interview. Because I feel like the more and more I prepare for an interview, the more robotic it seems, the more Q&A it seems. And the less I prepare, but like at least have some sort of general idea of where I want things to go, two or three questions that I want to ask instead of like a list. The more I'm asking follow-up, the more I'm having a conversation and like, holy crap, does that make a difference? I'm not tooting my own horn on those interviews, but I felt they, I just felt that they went so smoothly and that is not in any way. I'm not talking about me. It's just that I feel like if you're interviewing somebody and you're, you've got like a list of 16 questions, you ask them a question, they respond, and because you want to get through the list, you don't ask the follow up and you don't have a conversation with them. So, I don't know how the interviewee feels when you're doing that kind of a cra- that kind of crap. You're like, okay, here, uh, what was it like working on so and so? And then they go, blah, blah blah blah. Oh, cool, really? All right, well, all right. And now, what was it like? Like, it's it's almost like when you're talking to somebody and. They have no interest in what you're saying. <laughs> They're just doing the polite thing and responding to whatever you're saying. Like, that's got to suck. So from now on, and in any interview I'm doing, my goal is now to make it more conversational, less, like, strict research. i got to ask this, 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 and this, and we got to make sure to do it this. And it's like, I'm done with that because <laughs> these two interviews just cemented it for me. How how important the conversation is.
2: So from now on, Chad's gonna be half-assed it all the time, <laughs> and I'm not sure you'll notice the difference on, a, on a, a episode by episode as he carries his new attitude over into everything we do. <laughs> uh,
1: not uh, not true. <laughs> I will prepare. I'm just saying, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna kill myself with prep. I'm not gonna be sit there and be like. Oh, wow, they did work on this? Okay, I need to ask him about this. Okay, they did work on this issue? All right, I need to ask him about panel, blah, you know, like, uh, I'm done. I'm done with all that. Like, Glapion worked on Agent Orange. I wasn't going to be like, okay, so what did you think when the controllers showed up? How did you approach those panels? Like, no. He worked on Agent Orange. What did we? En- what did I enjoy about Agent Orange? Larflees. All right, well, let's talk a bit about Agent Orange and his work on that. What does he mention does he mention anything? Does he point out anything on his own? Cool. Forget what I was going to ask. Let's follow what he's interested in. Like That's 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 what it's going to be like from now on. At least on my side of things, I know Mark feels a little bit more comfortable with more notes in front of him. <laughs>
2: I think it depends on who depends on the interview. It depends on who we're True. talking to. So and it's, again, yeah, it's, it's feeling comfortable and feeling comfortable with the background, I think, of whoever you're talking to. The more, the more you know naturally, then I think it makes it easier. Or I at least want to have a little bit of <clears> – <throat> a little bit more prep or at least a little bit more uh, – a few go-to questions and then, then you can kind of like – Yeah,
1: so if same things stagnate, you can – Yeah. Yeah, cool. But that's it. That's Wizard World Austin 2017. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's what it's going to be like from now on, guys. And I I'm not just talking about the type of interviews. Um, I'm going to go and I'm going to try and get as many Lantern-related things. If there's somebody at a con that I'm going to with an interview that was working on Green Lantern or has something Green Lantern-related, of course I'm going to try and grab them. But if there's nobody, I'm still going to go talk to the people I'm interested in because it's fun for me. The same way that... We do those, you know, what we're looking forward to movie-wise in the coming year, which I guess we got to do one pretty soon. That is,
2: that is true, actually. Before you know it, we should re- we should be we should another couple of weeks. We'll probably have to start planning that for to, for one of our January episodes.
1: That's true. Uh, so the same way we do episodes like those, Mark did the Alien commentary. That's got nothing to do with Green Lantern. Who gives a crap? It's stuff we're interested in. I just so happen to be interested in interviewing people and it doesn't always have to be about Green Lantern. So I'm going to try and do these once a year like I've been doing. The only reason I was stagnating on them before is because I was like, oh, there's nobody here this year related to Green Lantern. Can't do it here. Screw that. I'm done with that. Not only is it about getting interviews now, it's also about, you know, it's like an annual thing now that me and Gary do. uh, Brother-in-law bonding wise. So why the hell not? So. If I can get an episode out of it, I'm gonna do it. But we have something else to talk about, comic related. Yeah. But not DC. Not DC related. <laughs> Who cares about DC right now? <laughs> well,
2: unless you can get unless you can get that interview with crying Ben Affleck about everything that went so horribly wrong and, just, and his and his time as Batman, if it really is coming to an end.
1: <laughs> um, November 29th. Uh, A two-minute, 24-second video appeared on YouTube. Marvel Studios' Avengers Infinity War official trailer. As I'm looking at YouTube right this second, and actually, hit refresh. Whoops, hold on. As I'm, okay, 89,461,231 views. So by the time you guys hear this, it's probably over 90 million views. Um, should we just play this?
2: Yeah, let's <laughs> just play it. Let me...
1: All right. So we're going to play it. Oh, a new Black Panther trailer released. I did not see that. <laughs> Whoops.
2: Yeah that, was, uh, yeah, that wasn't that long before this one. All right. You ready? Yeah, hit it. All right.
0: You're right, yet to fail all the same. Dread it. Run from it.
3: Destiny still arrives. Evacuate the city. Engage All defenses. Get this man a shift.
0: Fun isn't something one considers the balance in the universe. But this <laughs> does put a smile on my face.
2: Mustache on Star Lord does not look good, <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of funny because I've because I watched I've watched Guardians of the Galaxy two like twice so far since it's been on Netflix, uh, and and to be fair he was kind of he almost kind of had a must full mustache in somewhere towards the end of that movie but just having just a fully that's not a good look <laughs> that porn stash isn't really a good look for Chris Pratt, <laughs> uh, so
1: I guess here's the question that everybody's asking. Who dies? Now, this is a question everybody's been asking before we even saw the trailer. But now that we have some quote-unquote context, who do you think dies?
2: Well, see, even that has to be, like, qualified or, or quantified – qualified in this case. We're not talking numbers because of the fact that – well, kind of are. Uh, because we also don't know if they're really – how dead they're really going to be if they die. Because I, I – I mean, because I remember something being leaked a while ago, whether it's true or not, that there's at some point in the movie when Doctor Strange is like talking to Peter like seemingly some of the Avengers have died, and Doctor Strange is talking to Peter saying that that they're not really that they're not really dead, not yet. You know, it's a tell, you know talking to Peter, trying to get him out of trouble, just letting him know that basic things are not as far gone as you, they seem to be. And even if they do die, we don't know if things are going to be done with the, like the the time stone and things like that. Right to uh to set things back again, um. But that that little qualifying statement away, based on who, probably like, are you talking just in this movie itself, in Avengers three, who we think dies? Yeah. yeah. Um. Oh jeez. Uh, you can make a case the Vision could die. You can make. Oh, speaking a- speaking
1: of Vision, just because we're already on the subject okay. of him, is that a dream, or is that like him using yes, his abilities <laughs> to look human.
2: That one. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I I think he's trying to use his abilities. So the Vision could die, and not just because we see that scene of of someone trying to take the Infinity Stone out of his head, even though we that's don't.
1: supposed to be one of his uh, one of Thanos's people.
2: That is true. I've also heard somebody speculate that that was that that. Someone said and I didn't. I would have to watch, really watch it in slow mo to pay attention. That that was actually something that happened. It was happening in Wakanda, as in like someone, that, that the Vision was essentially volunteering to give, to give up the stone just so it wouldn't be so easy to track. But you, but it doesn't look that way. It looks like somebody obviously. Yeah, he's on the floor. Yeah, I know. I I agree. I'm not saying I buy that. I, I agree. Yeah. Uh. So. So. Uh. The Vision likely. Uh, see, we, have so, we also have to go back and look at the original vision that Tony Stark had that that uh, Scarlet Witch gave him. So that opens the door to a lot because I mean Tony could Tony could quote unquote die, but we know he's not you know, but he's temporarily. Uh, don't think the Hulk's gonna die. Thor could die. I could see Thor dying. I could see Loki dying too because Loki's quite interesting because it's the whole context of who he's stepping over. He could be stepping over as Guardians. Yeah, and he has no, and he literally has no choice. He he could either not give Thanos the Tesseract and die, or he could give t- Thanos the Tesseract and try to live to fight another day, because for all we know, he could be partially responsible for sending uh, Bruce Banner back to Earth. Um, so so kind of like give give everybody a heads up because we don't know. Obviously, Thor gets sent out into space because, as we saw in the San Diego Comic Con footage when he crash lands on the on the windshield of the. Of the Guardian ship. so it certainly looks like Bruce Banner makes it back to Earth first. So as far as so we don't know. If, I mean Loki could actually send him back, maybe as a trying to warn everybody, because Lord knows no one would believe Loki if he showed up. <laughs> uh, it's hard. It's really hard to know who's gonna die. I mean Hawkeye is always an easy one to say he's gonna die because he has no powers. Hmm. So unless everybody dies and they get brought back in the second one, I don't think Cap will die because I. Because I'm still hoping that, obviously, Thor's going to have – there's going to be a hammer put back together in the fourth movie so Cap can lift it. <laughs> I'll be very disappointed if, if, if Cap if, – if me and the are there is not put back together and, uh, and Cap doesn't lift it at all. So I'm still holding out hope for that. I'm trying to think who I think died. Peter could – Peter theoretically could die too, but you know it's not going to stick if he does.
1: That's what a lot of people are theorizing too because of some of those scenes where, like, Tony looks like he's just – completely shaken and yeah crying like you know one of the i mean that could be you know a b c d person but it seems to make the most sense if he feels responsible for his death
2: yes i agree at the very least peter's going to be severely injured if he's not technically dead because i think that's absolutely the that would that would make the most sense because other, I mean, because obviously, based on the scene in Wakanda, where I guess we can all kind of safely assume at this point... The soul that, gem. Uh, yes, either the soul gem is... It, there's only two real explanations. Either the soul gem is in Wakanda, which makes the most sense because it would advance, as we've talked about before, I think, why it would explain why they have such an advanced society and a hidden advanced society. But if that's not the case, then obviously some of the other stones are, are being put there to be hidden, which would explain why there's a, a huge battle going on at Wakanda, in Wakanda, that it's not just maybe... Trying to get one stone, it's, they're hiding some of the other stones there at that point when they know what's going on. But we see, we obviously, we you know, we see Cap, we see a Black Panther, we see Black uh, Black Widow, Fal- Falcon, Brody, and the Hulk. So we see all them in battle there. Don't see the. It's interesting. We don't see the Vision and we don't see the Scarlet Witch. So they probably, they must be somewhere else.
1: Well, that's not technically true because. Marvel has had a history of putting out trailers in which a scene will be shown with ABCD character. But when you see that same scene in the movie, those characters are there. But so are two or three others that they removed from that scene so that you didn't see them for a spoiler.
2: True. And sometimes it's the opposite, like in Civil War, when Spider-Man wasn't put in. And and maybe at the original time they weren't 100. Either the footage with Spider-Man wasn't done, or that might have been actually 100. Some of that may have been shot before they 100 percent secured the rights for, to Spider-Man, and that was some of the stuff they had to. You know. Oh,
1: and speaking of, the deal's done, man. Yeah.
2: Is it? Or was that just announced? Because they still were talking about it. I I, thinking, I don't think it was. I'm I'm announced. pretty sure it's been finalized.
1: Unless I'm reading like too too many things, I
2: think you might be. Eh. Yeah, I think I don't think it's official. I think well, let's put it this way: it may be official, but it's not annou- it's not announced publicly yet that it's official. Everybody, it may very well be because everybody's kind of talking about it, assuming it's a it's a done deal. Um, and obviously that create that creates a whole lot of possibilities. Uh, so, I, so that, especially you
1: know. when Feige said there was like 20 movies they already had planned out.
2: Right, and, and then again, that, that open—that's another thing. Looking behind the veil, where you also don't know that, despite the fact that we know a few months ago they were talking, supposedly talking about this, then it supposedly they stopped. We also don't know how long this thing has been they've been talking about this behind the scenes so this so maybe some of what Marvel was planning though not set in stone yet was related to the properties that they didn't really own anymore but they thought they were getting back because they this deal really seemed like it was going to be a done deal kind of like obviously Disney and Lucasfilm have been discussing that that acquisition for a long time and we nobody knew about it until it was actually announced so yeah. it next, so it could be this could be the same way because if it does because if they didn't kind of feel it was going that way then you would have to think that really changes things as far as what their game plan is going to be because they have so many more so many more ways to go now and who knows even if it doesn't happen at the end of Avengers 3 certainly if this is a done deal if it's a done deal by the end of this month maybe even the ending of the set Avengers 4 will kind of allude to this maybe because again maybe because the universe is set almost like a zero hour crisis kind of thing where things are set back to a, to a certain point, but now things have changed. So maybe now these characters are integrated, are integrated in, which actually. So so
1: so instead of Wanda saying no more mutants, she's going to
2: say let there be mutants. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the, and it's it probably also dr- dramatically increases the odds we're going to see Hugh Jackman as Wolverine again.
1: <laughs> you know, I'm, as much as I'm excited for mutants to be a part of this universe, because like of my favorite characters two of them are X-Men Gambit and Firestar but like <laughs> as much as that's cool i'd be i'm so excited at the possibility of the fantastic 4 universe becoming a part of this again because not just the ff but you have like doctor doom and galactus and silver surfer and like could you imagine seeing a live action fin fan film <laughs> yeah <laughs> Like, holy crap <laughs> that would be awesome <laughs> so sorry, back to infinity war sorry <laughs> it's all
2: right I and mean, there's, there's just a lot of there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff going on, so there's a lot of stuff i mean re- especially with the with that pending you know fi- you know final dotting the i's and crossing the t's there on that on that acquisition because it opens the door for so many things hell it opens the door to fun if they want to to put the friggin Fox fanfare in front of all the Star Wars movies again which seems weird without it so it'd be cool to put it back in um, I like there obviously there's footage missing for, that was in the San Diego comic-con footage that was not in this trailer so I think some of that some of that stuff is interesting um, it's, it's the context I re, it's kind of I mean I it f- clearly, it, it certainly hints at the fact we're not going to see Cap looking like Cap probably in this movie. It doesn't mean we won't. It probably hints at it that maybe that's going to be something that will happen in, in, in the fourth Avengers movie, that he looks like Cap again. Um, he, looks,
1: he looks like he's wearing more – I mean not the same, but closer to his Winter Soldier outfit than – any other official cap outfit?
2: Yeah, with some obviously with some Wakanda armor on him, and when they're running into battle on his on his wrists and stuff, looks he's got some Wakanda stuff on too, which makes sense because even if he's not hanging out in Wakanda the whole time since Civil War, you know that's probably a main base of operations for him considering. And I, and Bucky obviously has a new has a new arm, uh-huh. which we assume is which we will assume is vibranium now. I think uh-huh. it's probably that would make the most sense if they're going to replace his arm and you're in Wakanda. Vibranium is the as the go-to choice there? Um, it is interesting that obviously Thanos only has two. We only see him actually with two Infinity Stones in his in the gauntlet.
1: He's got the one from Guardians Volume One, and then he's got the one from, from the
2: uh, Avengers, yeah.
1: um, which makes me curious. So we know where they are. Yes, all of them uh, now. We're assuming Soulstone is in Wakanda. So all of those make sense. Okay, yeah. so he clearly already raided the Nova Corps. To get that.
2: No, he, wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Nova, the f the Nova Core one was the uh, right one. Right. 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 Uh,
1: the only one I'm curious of how he gets, or even if it shows up in the movie at all, is the Aether. Yeah,
2: the, the Collector.
1: Yeah, the Collector has the Aether, uh, which is what? What was that? The Reality Stone, or is that the? what well, I think that was the Reality Stone.
2: I think you are correct.
1: Yeah. So, and, and uh, Vision's got the Mind Stone, um, and then uh, what else am I missing? I'm missing something. The time, the the, the Time Stone, which yeah, the is the Stone. which is the Eye of Agamotto. Uh, which, to be honest, I don't like that. The Eye of Agamotto should be its own thing, the same way the Cosmic Cube should be its own thing. But whatever. Uh, <laughs> so, all of those, it's like how he gets his hands on those is pretty easy to explain, except the Aether because he's already on earth. Well, that's at a- the time we see him with the Infinity Gauntlet and it's and, he, and he's got the, the Guardians one and he's got the, well, the, the 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 Tesseract one.
2: I think a lot of people don't think they are they they are on earth when they're making it cuz that background does not look like they're fighting on earth.
1: Well, so do a lot of the backgrounds when they were showing all of this the sepia tone bullshit from uh, yeah, age was, of ultra
2: but yeah but there was a reason for that because the most of that stuff were visions from the scarlet witch but i don't i i'm trying i am trying to remember the it has something to do with not necessarily contest of champions it might be secret wars it has to do with something with secret wars that they think they're on a planet that, that factored into secret wars that they're fighting on because it doesn't really look like it's on it doesn't look like they're fighting on earth um, at that point, obviously, we know some of it's taking place on Earth. The Wakanda stuff is clearly on Earth, but when Tony is getting 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 bit slapped by Thanos and stuff like that, that I don't necessarily know that is on Earth.
1: But, well, it's definitely not inside of the head of that celestial because that's the wrong background and everything.
2: The head of what? So, what celestial?
1: The head is the 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 collector oh, yeah, yeah. no,
2: no, 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 no his no, home no.
1: base is like inside it's, that it's head like, of it's the like actually pl- it's
2: a planet because because don't forget in the in the San Diego Comic-Con footage when they're fighting on that planet that's Well, also- I haven't seen that. Oh, I thought you saw that. Nope. I thought you saw that. Well, Thanos when when they're fighting in that on that same planet, one of the things that's missing from this footage is when Thanos reaches up with the gauntlet and like like kind of like lasso's a moon and like throws it and like throws it down on them. So I don't. I'm pretty sure they're not. That part is not taking place on on Earth. But um, I also, from a from a from a just aesthetic point of view, I really hope that that's not the way Thanos is going to look throughout the whole movie. I really hope he at least looks like Thanos wearing a tip some kind of tip, quote unquote, typical Thanos outfit. Whether it's the purple one, whether it's the gold one, I don't really care. But him. You know, walking around, you know, like in a, in a, wearing a no helmet with a guinea tee or something. It's not exactly how I want to see Thanos walking around. Well,
1: you, you know, honestly, I think I think he will be fully dressed in the armor at some point, but only when shit hits the fan.
2: That Yeah, that's fine.
1: And, and I mean, for him, because in the meantime, he's confident he's got two infinity stones. He's like he's like these people are nothing to me. So he doesn't need to armor up because he's like, well, what the hell? None of these people are a challenge. But when stuff starts becoming a challenge or the threat starts getting big enough, I think then we'll see him armored up. So it's entirely possible we might not see Thanos armored up in this movie at all.
2: That is true. I'm hoping it's it, not, but I, you're probably going to – you'll probably be correct. Or maybe – yeah. The, see, it all depends how this one ends too. It all depends – if it's really a cliffhanger or not, or, it dep- or how much of a cliffhanger it is, it it, it just it depends. Because maybe you know maybe at the very end you know Thanos would armor up. But yeah, I don't know. And I think it, it's going to be really interesting to see how where everybody's left off. They they can get away with even though they've said all the, these are not a, it's not a two part movie, so they've kind of made it sound like they've stepped away from saying this is you know this this Infinity War itself is technically you know two official. You know, that it's not Infinity War 1 and 2 which doesn't really mean it's not the same story necessarily, it just means it could be a semantic thing but if, they still have the they still can do whatever kind of cliffhanger they want because we know the next movie is coming out a year later so they don't have oh. to worry about yanking people's chains for and having the three year cliffhanger which is, which is what people usually don't like
1: I'll, I'll say this though, this is my final thought on it this movie better be dark and i don't mean like tonally i mean in terms of like color i mean tonally the the it's got to be dark it's got to be serious it's got to be the stakes are effing high that's what i feel because it's going to be it's a marvel movie there's going to be humor with all of these characters finally meeting for the first time there's got to be humor i mean we it's it's just a foregone conclusion but i feel like every single marvel movie and i'm looking at them all now i've got every single one on blu-ray that's 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 out i'm looking at all these titles and i'm not seeing any single one of these that i ever really felt like except maybe maybe winter soldier that i ever really felt like oh shit the threat's real you know i never i never felt like anybody was ever in danger now don't get me wrong you're going into a Marvel movie. These these big characters. You know that you know so and so is signed up to appear in so and so film, film. They're all, they're going to be okay. But this film needs to be leaps and bounds more dangerous than any of these others sitting on my shelf right now. Is the stakes have got to be amped up to eleven because you've been building to this movie since Avengers. Yeah, I mean, of course you've been building to it since Iron Man, but you know, you didn't get your first glimpse of where they were headed until the end of Avengers and the end credits. So you've been building to it since then, and all these movies are so so well done. But like, because you've been building so long, this has got to be a whole nother world. This is just a whole nother level of oh shit, everybody's screwed, and I need to see that on the screen. I need to feel like forget the whole contract thing, who's being renewed, who's coming back, who's going to be appearing in, you know, Ant-Man and Wasp or Captain Marvel or whatever. Forgetting all of that, I need to go into this movie going, I don't know who's safe. I don't know what's going to happen. I know that the movie's going to be like two hours or two and a half hours or three. And I know Thanos is just going to wreck shop and nobody's safe. I need to feel like that from the moment this, the movie hits, the, the moment it starts, to the very end.
2: I think you'll get it. I th- I think that's I think that's the way this is going to be going to be set up. As we know, the biggest the biggest failing overall, not, and this is true in, in in almost every superhero movie that we've seen, really, is that the villains have never really been from a threat perspective. They've never really been as good uh, and as as cool as they could have been. And it's kind of a shame, with Mar- a shame with Marvel. In a way, it makes sense on some level with Marvel, only because
1: my favorite was Hela, by the way, so far.
2: Hela, yeah, Hela. I mean, Hela was—you respected Hela because she was bad and she was and she was powerful. Mm. Um, Red Skull was wasn't bad. Um, Marvel has a lot of good villains, but obviously, if they get Doctor Doom, then finally that. Just imagine, just imagine a universe where they can have your Doctor Doom and Magneto, mm-hmm. and maybe Doctor Doom and Magneto working together. <laughs> <laughs> there then then you have then you can ra- dial it up to 11 right there with 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 the bad guys but you know, in a way they were sa- they were it's understandable because you know Iron Man other than the Mandarin you know he you know and I don't mean the comic the movie Mandarin I just mean it is lore he doesn't have that many really he has villains but nobody that makes you go oh yeah cap more or less has you know he's got the red skull uh, Spider-Man's got a whole crap load, but they haven't. They weren't able to use Spider-Man. Thor is the same way. Loki's the main, the main guy for him, really. So th- their kind of their hands were kind of tied on that level. Thanos, I think it's clear that you know, yeah, Thanos is obviously gonna. The whole point of all this is Thanos is gonna be more of a match. Certainly, Thanos is essentially going to be probably more than a match for all of them combined, w- without somehow kind of cheating to tilt the odds somehow. <laughs> Which is probably I would you have to suspect Doctor Strange is going to be the key to beating him, one way or the other. Even without, even if he loses the Aya of Agamotto, you would think because of that because he's still the Sorcerer Supreme without it. And well, he's not, not yet. Well,
1: he's not the source. He's not the Sorcerer Supreme yet.
2: Well, he might be by now.
1: Maybe by now, but we don't know.
2: Well, but don't forget most of Doctor Strange took place in the past.
1: Uh, that's true but he still may not be the sorcerer supreme he, he may be in charge of the, the things or he may be even just in charge of the new york office or uh, by <laughs> new york I office, know, office. it sounds too official but yeah the saint the sanctum <laughs> you know, Santorum uh but he's su- supposedly at least up until this point he's still not the sorcerer supreme he may become the sorcerer supreme in this movie but when this movie starts, he's not yet the Sorcerer Supreme. That's what I've heard.
2: Look, that could, and that and that could that could very well be true. But
1: he's formidable. He's very adept. He's got you know the eye of Agamotto. But he's still learning. He is not yet the Sorcerer Supreme.
2: Okay. Even if that's true, I still will say Doctor Str- Strange is going to be the. Probably, if not the key, one of the like two keys or whatever to beating beating him because of his abilities. And who knows? Maybe maybe Ant Man and his ability to, sh- to to shrink into that microverse thing, or maybe that's gonna maybe that'll be important too. I don't know. It's, uh, if only they could use the Micronauts. Too bad. Well, I mean, they could use all their own characters. They just can't call them the Micronauts. Uh, I don't know. I am I am really I am looking forward to it. There's I think it. I th- see that movie feels like an even in, with this trailer. That movie feels like it's going to be an event, tr- an event movie, which obviously Ultron wasn't. And maybe, and maybe as we talked about back then, maybe no matter what followed the original Avengers, no matter what the sequel was about, maybe it never would have felt like an event movie because the first one was, the first one succeeded. So maybe nothing you could do with it, but the second one was ever going to feel as that kind of special again. So maybe so maybe they were right on some levels to kick the Thanos can down the road. Uh, obviously I think they would have liked Ultron to be more impactful than it was. <laughs> but they also marketed it crappy. You know, they, they went to the well. They did the Green Lantern form of marketing in the last like three weeks and they just bludgeoned people over the head with it, which they didn't need to do. Uh I'm yeah, I this does definitely has the event feel and again, Justice League never did have that event feel to me. To it, based on what we were seeing on the screen, it should have been if it, been if it had been put together properly. I think it would have had an event feel, and if they had a real villain, that, that's where, the, like we talked about, Steppenwolf was such a bad choice because we knew once Superman got into the action, Superman we, it became clear that Superman could have beaten Steppenwolf by himself. So that kind of was a pro- he may have needed, you know, the you know cyborg and somebody else to be able to to, to be able to track you know, the mother boxes and things like that. But when it came to the actual villain,
1: yeah, there was, there was no, like, I actually heard somebody else make this comparison. Despite what we think about the fantastic Four, the first fantastic Four movie there, when they faced Dr. Doom, they all had their role to play, you know, that, you know, beating him. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You know, Sue did the, the field. Johnny did this, the, the, the fire spiral, you know, um, uh Reed did the sh- shooting the water from the, uh, the hydrant, you know, Thing ripped the hydrant open. Like there was like a – it was a team effort to defeat them, to defeat Dr. Doom. So like, you know, th- there was no moment like that really in almost any of these team movies. But, I, I mean, I feel like there's a little bit of it maybe with uh, Avengers because, you know, uh, Black Widow, she – closed the portal, and, and, you know, everybody kind of did crowd control, damage yeah, there, control. There was some
2: te- yeah, there was some teamwork involved in the overall. And, and there was a little bit of that in Justice League, but, but the main threat, yeah, there wasn't. Yeah. Yeah, I think I that's bet. a good point,
1: yeah. But do, do you have any uh, uh, final thoughts on uh, Infinity War before we wrap up the episode and do our final
2: thing? I think... I'm just, I'm really looking forward to, and hope. To uh, seeing uh, Iron Man and Cap back together again <laughs> even though that who knows if we'll actually see the physical interaction in this movie or if, or maybe it'll be at the end that again may be something they're saving a lot for the fourth movie so I'm
1: looking forward to seeing this new Black Panther trailer when we're done talking
2: <laughs> <laughs> see it's still I'm interested but it still doesn't I'm interested in Black Panther but it, I'm still not but I'm not I'm not super pumped for Black Panther. Not like I, I was more pumped for Thor than I was for, than I am for Black Panther.
1: You might feel better about Black Panther if you realize that he might be the the linchpin for the future movies.
2: But well, he, he, he and Doctor Strange, I think, are supposed to be.
1: Yeah, I'm just saying, like you know, if if Cap, if Thor, if Iron Man dies, the most likely people to be up next as like the the headliners for the new New Avengers, which is supposedly what everybody is really, really hoping the secret subtitle is for Avengers Four, Avengers New Avengers. Uh, <laughs> no, but bother. see, but uh, whatever. Uh, but anyway, I, I, but I, I'm interested to see it because I feel like it's going to be first of all the Soulstone aspect. Second of all, forgetting even the Soulstone aspect, it's the last one before we get Infinity yes. War. Yep. Um, I'm interested to see where all the players are. Not just the Wakandans, but when we last left, there was Bucky and there was Cap, at least, you know, over there. And, you know, since Cap set those other Avengers that were imprisoned at the end of Civil War free, are they also in Wakanda? Are they doing their own thing? I Like, I don't expect to see a bunch of people I – don't, I don't know if it's going to happen or not, but I am excited to, at the possibilities that Black Panther presents, given where – all the various pieces are left on the chessboard right now.
2: Right. I mean it's safe to say, you know, uh, Black Widow is in ends up in Wakanda, clearly at one point. She may not be she may not have been there the entire time, but considering that I think, you know, that that makes sense. We know uh, also we didn't talk obviously the Hulkbuster armor makes a reappearance.
1: <laughs> An upgraded one, but yes.
2: Yes, yes. Uh, so uh, I do. I'd like to see one of the after-credit scenes in uh, Black Panther, at least to show Cap. That would be cool. I think that would be yeah. nice. Uh, um, but yeah, it, it will be interesting because obviously that is the last movie to set the set the plate before. So I'm I'm def I'm definitely looking forward to it. And I, I am wondering if that per if the purchase you know if that deal does go through, it also makes you wonder if not just Marvel's view on what they're going to do with some of these older, the the the, the old guard Avengers, what they, if their plans might change for them. It also makes you wonder if some of the actors' plans, they're they're the ones that we're getting that maybe we're getting antsy and getting ready to, to want to leave. Maybe that might entice them either to not entirely leave or to leave the door open to come back for maybe. A, a particular project in particular, since now the opportunity to cross over with so many different characters and potentially actors, you know that that's why I would like I would be stunned in some way of shape or form that we don't see Hugh Jackman, if that deal goes through that we don't see Hugh Jackman as Wolverine again, since he's made it clear that that's that was something he wanted to do, like he wanted to be with Iron Man and stuff like that. So the fact the fact that that could actually happen now. I would be stunned that that wouldn't that wouldn't enti- even if it was a one-time deal or a special kind of pro- or a special kind of uh, project whether it was like a contest of champions kind of thing or whatever something. That I would be stunned if he wouldn't be willing to come back for that, considering the possibilities. Did you did you see Chris Chris Evans' tweet today about about the merger, the joke that he made?
1: Oh yeah yeah I yeah, saw it
2: yeah that was pretty good about the the, the Human Torch cab buddy movie. <laughs> yeah alright alright one final thing go ahead open the door a-
1: hey it's before 305 <laughs> and, and it's still
2: in December which was critical
1: yeah we have it a winner to announce for our uh, feedback for episode 300 slide contest we didn't really ever come up with a name for it but uh, we do have a winner to announce and uh, Mark want to tell them who the winner is
2: the winner is Play that drum roll. (laughs) (laughs) Laurel, Laurel, you are the winner. (laughs) That's right. Paging Laurel,
1: you are the winner. That's right. Laurel is the winner of the uh, Rebirth set, I guess. Green Lantern Rebirth set with the two action figures in the soft cover Green Lantern Rebirth. Um, So we will be in contact with you, Laurel, uh, getting your address and stuff so we can get that stuff sent over to you. Um, Mark and I... This is almost pretty, pretty, pretty quick for us to decide this. Um, but you know, we, we we did take a look at all the all the entries and, and read over them again and everything. But uh, came down to it, Mark and I are both agreed that Laurel uh, definitely won that one. So, Mark, you want to reread for the people what Laurel's question was?
2: Sure. Laurel's questions were: uh, How'd you get into Green Lantern podcasting? What's the craziest story of making the Lantern cast? Any humorous mayhem? Uh, what do you like about making Lantern cast together? And the bonus question was: if you did podcasting with a member of the Green Lantern Corps, living or dead, who would it be and why?
1: And yeah, I, uh, the, I just w- for 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 me myself, I just felt like her questions led to a lot of fun discussion. Like by the time we were done answering them, <laughs> that was like an hour had passed. We were, we were, because it was all of us. It was you, me, Jim, and Dan. Yes. Uh, and
2: which is, which is for me, one of the reasons why I think those questions resonated with me and why it left a lasting impression because because it opened the doors for a lot of things as far as different, different, not just answering it like we kind of tried to approach it as teams of two, but just since we've all recorded with each other, it's also just even recording as the four of us in a way it kind of opened the door for things that popped into our to to our head so i that's one of the funny
1: stories good stories a lot of good memories i remember a lot of laughter i mean we just had a lot of fun with those so because it 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 spurred us to have such a great conversation which was the, the the point of those questions uh everybody did awesome thank you so much for contributing to episode 300 but uh we had to pick one winner and that winner is laurel very nicely done that's right. So we'll be in contact with you, Laurel. If you haven't already seen a message from us uh, in some way, shape, or form by the time you hear us, uh, surprise, we, <laughs> yeah, surprise <laughs> and uh, reach out to uh, lanterncast at gmail.com ASAP so we can uh, hook you up. So, But beyond that, you want to go ahead and close this out, Mark?
2: Let us close this out. See, we always – we, we always have an episode that runs longer than we imagine it does. <laughs> we did through. say
1: this was going to be, yeah.
2: Yeah, we were, like, we're like double as double the length that we thought this would be. Um, <clears throat> but it's not a bad thing. We're, we're under six hours, and that's our new goal every week. <laughs> for, for the mercy of the listeners, if nothing else. Uh, lanterncast at gmail.com. That's the best way to contact us. Uh, visit our website, lanterncast.com. Follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook. You can use hashtag GLcast to locate us on either one of those. Stitcher, iTunes, we are on both. So leave us positive reviews on whichever platform or platforms you listen to us on. And last but not least, 708 Lantern is the voicemail. 708, I'm having trouble saying O today. 708 Lantern, And call that number and let us know what you think.
1: All right, guys, Uh, next episode... Uh, Green Lanterns or Hal Jordan? What
2: I are we think, doing? I think we decided, based on interest, we're actually going to go back to Hal Jordan. We're going to go back. We're going to be doing the two issues of Superman with Sinestro and the and Hal Jordan, the core, the two issues with Superman. So that'll that'll be our next episode, and then we'll probably then we'll probably do Green Lanterns and 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 depending on when you you see uh, Star Wars, we might be able to do our. Our last Jedi discussion in that episode too.
1: I have tickets for. Hold on, let me pull up my ticket thingy, uh, my wallet Excuse app. Excuse me while I whip this out. <laughs> uh, I bought the tickets several weeks ago. Um, let's see here. I am going. All right, Star Wars: the Last Jedi tickets, Sunday, December
2: seventeenth. All right, so so that should be a that should be a safe bet that uh, unless unless our green lanterns thing which i sincerely doubt it will be that long but as, as this episode proved we can still run over no matter what but as long as we're not rambling more than like like an hour and 15 minutes on green lanterns alone the odds are we'll probably do our last jedi discussion i would assume when we record that episode too because we both barring anything unforeseen we both would have se- seen at the opening weekend so
1: true oh hey are you still reading action comics yes Okay, so you read the final issue of the Jor-El thing? Yes. Okay, so you know that there's a big cameo with the Green Lanterns at the end of that?
2: Yes. I'm going to bring that up in that episode.
1: Do you remember what episode issue number of that, that was?
2: Actually, I think that, that actually was, I believe the Green Lantern issue was the issue. It was right. It was not technically the last issue of the Oz Effect. I believe it was the first issue of post-Oz Effect. I think think it
1: was – no, I think it was the conclusion or the epilogue or whatever because at the end of it, Booster Gold pops up, and that uh, starts the new storyline.
2: Give me – give me one – give me uh, (laughs) – talk to the people for one second, Chad, I think (laughs) I have it within reach, but my headset won't reach, so hold on one second. No problem.
1: So the Oz effect, for people who don't know, is the storyline that's currently – no, was going on in Action Comics where Mr. Oz, who had a brief moment in the Rebirth special – uh, who showed up to Superman and was like, you know, blah, blah, blah. Everybody <laughs> thought he was Ozymandias or whatever. Not the case. It's been out long enough now. If you don't want to. Or, actually, I already spoiled it, so it doesn't matter. It's been out for every, everybody knows yeah. at this point. It, so, uh, doc, yeah, Mr. Oz, Dr. Oz, whatever is supposedly. Dr. Oz. <laughs> whatever, yeah. <laughs> supposedly, supposedly Jorel. I still don't buy it, but whatever.
2: I, yeah, I think I, I think it is Jor-El, but it's jor that's been, but but Manhattan's tampered with the timeline, so he yeah. Pl- so he plucked him out, he corrupted him, he screwed him up, and I'm sure by the end jor will be back to dying. When so the the issue is 992, and it is a standalone issue. It's after effects.
1: Okay, yeah, after effects of the Oz. Yeah, of like. the
2: Oz. Yes, it's 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 a it's a it's a, it's a it it's, might it's well a, be it's an an a F- one-off issue between Oz effects and the Booster Gold time which is which I'm really looking forward to.
1: Yeah. Uh, so basically, in order to kind of verify his claims, there's a moment where Superman visits the Green Lantern Corps. And I won't say any more about that because since there's so much Superman Green Lantern stuff happening in our next episode, I feel it's appropriate to bring it up then. So that works. the only reason I'm mentioning it now, since you guys already know the issues, we'll be covering next episodes in case you want to read them and catch up that that issue mark what was the number action comics
2: 992
1: 992 will also be mentioned we won't we probably won't cover it but we will mention it and talk about it a bit in that
2: episode yeah that was actually a nice surprise that that happened in that and that issue oh and, and for the sake of for the sake of since for the people who do want to read ahead the issues we will be covering cuz i do have them right in neck right next to me superman 29 and 30 which is a minute longer part 1 and part 2 And Hal Droid in the Core 30 and 31, which is Mind Games Part 1 and Part 2.
1: Yep. So that's where we'll be uh, next episode. So we'll talk to you guys later.
2: Good night, everybody. Good night. (laughs)